to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This week is going to be a little bit different in that I've got the tables turned on me and am interviewed. And actually what this is, is a replay with Jordan Budd from Rock Slide on a podcast we did a year ago for the Rock Slide podcast, Rockcast. And more specifically, it's time specific. So this podcast has to do with a couple of things. One, as the temperatures keep getting cooler and late season hunts, late season ski touring, spending time in the mountains in the winter month is quickly approaching. We talk specifically about number one, three tips that I give on how to fuel well when the temperature drops, because there's a couple of things involved with that. Number two, we talk about preparation for hunts and mid-season recovery. For a lot of people, November does not signify the end of their season whenever it comes to hunting and spending time outdoors. It kind of signifies the middle, if not the start. So if you've already been spending some time in the mountains, you're feeling a little bruised, a little battered, but you've got this desire, this drive to make it through the entire season of November. Some hunts even go as late as January. How do you do that? What are a couple of key things to focus on? Second to that is there's a guide that we created on the topic that you can go, you can download, you can print out, and you can look back on um, not only now, but also for the start of next season. How do you prepare earlier? If you feel like maybe you didn't do well this year, what can you do next season to prepare better? So I started thinking of ideas to record a podcast on this, and I thought, why reinvent the wheel? Jordan was and is an excellent host, asked excellent questions. We've already got a guide built. Um, So this is the replay of that, and hopefully you find it helpful. If you've got any questions, send them over to info at v2pnutrition.com. And don't forget to check the show notes, which will link everything that we talked about, as well as you'll find the link to download that free guide. Without further ado, here is Jordan and I talking about late season prep and recovery. All right. So I see that actually just this morning before we started this, I saw that you had just come out with three tips that you have for going into cold weather. Um, Do you want to just like roll into that? And uh, I thought that was really applicable for the upcoming coldness that we're about to experience. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And obviously they go beyond just three you can dive as deep as you want into nutrition or keep it as basic as you want but i've always found three to kind of be that magic number that people can remember and and honestly if you focus on the three and you can manage to do those you'll be so far ahead of the game that i think it'll serve just anyone really well i'm a huge fan of just mastering the basics rather than making things really complex so first off would be to increase your total calorie intake now, that seems sort of obvious if you've got a ton of snow and you're post holing through things and the, you know, the work just becomes exponentially more. But even aside from that, temperatures with no snow tend to increase the total needs of the body. So, you know, we tend to think of calories like in society as being something that contributes to weight gain or health. It's almost like this bad word, but, and it, it can, right? I mean, if you get too many, then that could potentially cause problems. If you get too few, that could cause problems, but it's also the very thing that fuels what we love to do. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a requirement to be able to put you in a position and a place to do what you love to do, which, whether it be in the mountains or the Midwest or what have you. So as the temperatures get colder, what we've seen in studies, and these are, you know, folks climbing 
Himalayan mountains and, you know, where the temperatures are cold, but still applicable in the West in particular in the winter, the same type of work done in a warm environment when compared to a cold environment, the calorie increase, the calorie demand of the body is exponentially more whenever it's cold. And, you know, if you think about it, it's obvious as to why that would be. Not only are you doing the work, which of course requires some energy, but your body's also really having a hard time trying to keep you warm. You have to maintain a certain body temperature to, uh, you know, prevent getting hypothermic or too cold. So there's a, there is a, something has to fuel that, right. And so that increases your baseline calorie needs. So increasing total calorie intake would be uh, rule one. The second rule, which I think really flows in well with the first one is to create a better energy efficiency. And what that means is you try to flip that switch of the body requiring so many more calories to heat you up. And you do that by eating warm foods. I had a really, really good question. Whenever I'd posted this on social media, someone had chimed in and said, Hey, is there, are there any particular foods that I could eat? You know, that would warm me up before I drop before I hop in a sleeping bag. And I would imagine the origin of that question comes from this idea um, in the mountaineering world, where if you eat really, really high fat foods before you go to bed and, and they tend to drink olive oil, which if no one's familiar with that, it's, it's nothing but fat and probably not that great going down. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that that will somehow warm you because of the energy, because of the amount of energy in it prior to jumping in your sleeping bag, that would warm you more than just getting in without having it had the olive oil. The real key here is to eat or drink something warm, right? And that's not just for before you jump in the sleeping bag, that's throughout the day. All right. So thinking about, you know, it, not everyone does this, but a lot of people carry a small stove with them, even on backpack hunts, whether it's to make coffee while they're glassing or whatever, throwing in a pack of ramen or, you know, any type of noodles that you like, even uh, dehydrated soups, broth, hot chocolate, cider, whatever it is that you like. But the, the, the best way that you could warm your core temperature is to drink something warm, which obviously creates better energy efficiency because it, it's less work that the body's having to do. So you are getting the most of the calories that you're taking in to fuel the endeavor rather than trying to also warm your body. Third nice. thing. Yeah, it, it's and it's, you know, if you've not done it, it's helpful. Plus, who doesn't like a decently warm cup of coffee while they're glassing in, in the middle of winter it's like a morale booster as well oh big time and then we used like we had we took ramen with us this year for rifle season like in the middle of the day we'd like make that and then split it and that's not like the greatest thing but it's still warm food <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm the same way. We I tend to take some smaller bags of ramen when the temperatures get cold and, um, you know, throw even like this isn't necessarily appealing to throw ramen and tuna together, but you get, you know, the types of fuel that you need and um, you're able to stay warm as well. The third thing would be, and this is, uh, this is, this is kind of a category that I think has come up quite a bit lately in back, backpack hunting in particular and people trying to be healthier is salt, right? So, you know, people tend to want to eat lower salt. There's a lot of complaints about the dehydrated meals with the amount of sodium in there. Yet the flip side of that coin 
is that you need some sodium, right? And so as you're, as you're breathing, you're, you're exhaling water, you're sweating, you're losing sodium, you know, sodium is the electrolyte that is the most prominent in your sweat. So replacing that is a way to keep your electrolytes up. And one of the best ways to do that beyond, you know, relying on some type of an electrolyte mix would be to eat salty foods. And so when you look at, you know, because obviously, you know, folks that are doing a lot of hiking um, are could be considered athletes. That's a, that's a tough and a challenging endeavor. And when you look at the recommendations for athletes with sodium, one of the best ways to get it in them is to have them eat salty foods. Uh, foods with salt in them to maintain that electrolyte balance. So don't think that because you don't feel the same sweat that you would in like an early season August hunt, that you're not losing some sodium from the endeavor that you're doing and those need to be replaced. Gotcha. That makes sense. Sweet. Uh, where can people find that? Cause I know you talked about that. Is that on your newsletter? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of places. There's kind of just the quick bullet point version of it on the different social media outlets, uh, which is just like Instagram B2P Nutrition. But there's a a video. It's I try to keep them as short as possible. It's five minutes that not only outlines the three, but sort of takes a little bit of a deeper dive into. Okay, here's the three. Here's the strategy and here's some ways to fit that strategy into your hunt if you're interested in doing it. And so that's on the newsletter. And if someone's not already subscribed, there's two ways to access that. Number one, you can get on the website. There's an archive of every newsletter I've ever put out. It's password protected. So you'd have to just give me a, you know, shoot me a a message or something. I'd be happy to give you the password or subscribe to the newsletter. And um, I can also send it to you that way. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So the original idea that I had for this podcast when I got a hold of you was we are now approaching like early November for some hunters, you know, that were just, you know, archery hunters in specific or some, some like rifle hunters that their season just ran through October and is now done. A lot of those, uh, a lot of those guys are like recovering. Um, and I wanted to talk about like the different kinds of recovering because everybody's hunts are going to look a little bit different like mine for example this year anyways I started about mid-August and while I'm pretty good about working out and like exercising and hitting certain muscle joint or um, muscle groups that I know help me when I'm backpacking and then like being pretty good on my nutrition as soon as hunting starts like it pretty much goes through Christmas for me and all that kind of goes to hell or gets lax a little bit more so that I have like three months that I'm not really doing that much extra besides just like trying to hunt and trying to live basically um (laughs) but then there are some guys that you know they work just as hard and then they go like on a week-long hunt and then they'll come off that and still maybe not do anything for like three months or or whatnot. I guess I'm not really yeah. sure how to phrase it perfectly, but what do you see? Like when you see the couple types of, of people that like hunters that you deal with, um, trying to get them to recover and prepare for next season. Well, I think your, your sort of differentiation between the two groups. Right. And so I think if we, and, and these, there can be anyone in between the middle, but you've got, 
you know, guys who do a hunt and then they have a really long break. And then you've got folks who just, you know, like you and, and obviously just about anyone who guides um, really like a four, five plus month stretch in there where the option for a long break is pretty limited. And so I think that, you know, the, the main takeaway between those two is you've got the, the, the approach to them both for recovery is going to be entirely different because you're, you've got two entirely different circumstances. With that said, there's some obvious um, approaches that would, would be true for both. I think, so I, I see the same. I see the group of people who are just after it all year. Another group that fits this category that I see a lot of is wildland firefighters. So they'll usually come after a season totally spent, you know, and want to begin training first of the year for the following season, because that that season can be just relentless and daunting. One thing that I think that is very pervasive in this culture and environment, and I'm, I'm sort of apprehensive in saying this because I know this is going to be interpreted all sorts of different ways, but is this idea that a quote unquote rest day is a waste of time, right? And so if you take someone who's a guide and getting in after it as off, you know, basically four or five months, when you are off or when you, you know, you're not guiding someone seeing that day that you don't have someone as a potential to rest, right? And so the body needs opportunity to rest and you've got to have realistic expectations. I'm all for challenging yourself in training. I'm all for, you know, creating really difficult goals for yourself. And th those are good. Those are mentally challenging and that's good. But there is a reality that exists here that the body is an amazing machine and you can push it if you have to, but there's going to come a point where it simply has to tap out. So seizing the opportunity for rest whenever you can, I think is, is really, really key, whether you're a guide or someone like me, who's simply just weekend warrior, you know, you're going out, leaving town Thursday night, maybe Friday morning, Friday night, going as much as you possibly can until Sunday or Monday, you know, you come home, you wash your stuff, you repack, and then you go at it again, taking those four or five days between the weekend hunts and not going to the gym and burning your legs out on squats and, you know, trying to run 26 miles every day and, and, and doing all of these things, seeing that as an opportunity to allow your body to recover so that when you do show back up on the mountain, you're able to, you're, you're able to give as much as you can. And a part of that is, is twofold. The best thing, you know, for performance nutrition is or performance in general is two things. One, arrested muscle, and then two, adequate nutrition that fuels that muscle. And if you're taking the opportunity, if you're, if you're taking the time when you have the opportunity to rest, you're not doing either of those, you know, the, the, the not resting the muscle piece is obvious. But you're also draining the very stores that need to be filled back up before you go out and push yourself again, right? And so it's a combination of the two that really culminates in you showing back up to the mountain whenever it is the weekend again and being able to really give just about everything that you do have um, for in your own personal capability for that weekend or those three days or however many days you're out there. Nice. So I totally agree with that. And I really like that because usually when you get back and it was a hard weekend, you don't really want to do that much during the week anyways. 
like your mentality. Yeah. Um, what well, I, nutrition I wise? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted you. I got excited. And I think like, you know, we can blame it on whatever media outlet or, 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 or uh, quote unquote influencer or whatever you want to, but there's sort of is this idea that now exists if like, if you're taking no days off, right. I mean, that's the hashtag that shows up so often, no days off. If you're, if you're doing that, it's a really great Instagram mantra. It's a terrible mantra for performance and longevity, right. And somehow there's become this idea that if you do that, if you take a day off and, and keep in mind, this is strategic day off. This isn't like you're lazy, but the idea is that if you take that, somehow you are lazy, somehow you are weak, sometimes somehow you are mentally incapable or unfit and being in the mountain. And like, <laughs> I don't know where that started, but that simply isn't true. Not only that, but I would argue that if you don't seize those opportunities, maybe you quote unquote survive or quote unquote manage the weekend hunt. But I can promise you, you wouldn't do as well as you would had you taken the opportunity to rest the muscle. That's a really, really good point is uh, there's like, you have to listen to your body maybe instead of listening to like, quote unquote, what you're supposed to do type of deal and just uh, do you type of a deal. Absolutely. Yep. That's yeah. a, that's a great synopsis is, is, you know, to, to do you, I think there's a, a quote that I love that says, um, uh, darn it. It escapes me right now. Uh comparison is the thief of joy. That's what it is. Right. And so the greatest way for you to rob yourself of an excellent experience, not, not just on the mountain itself, but in your own goal, right? Like the, the whole fitness and nutrition thing, regardless of if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to hike with more weight, which I heard you, you know, you went beast mode on a, on a, sheep <laughs> and a mule deer. If you're trying to do, if you're trying to improve all of these metrics, it's a, it's a journey. You know, most of what you see an influencer have was obtained over years and years and years of training. It wasn't obtained in half of a season, right? And you have to pace yourself for the longevity of it and do you, like you said, perfectly, as opposed to saying, well, you know, my neighbor did this, he achieved this, that's what I'm going to do. It might be a decent strategy, but you have to be prepared to tailor that for you and understand that if your volume and exercise or what have you is less than your neighbors when you start, that's all right, because your neighbor didn't start where he is now either. Uh, yeah, that's extremely important for like all things, because if if you just try to if you try to go zero to a hundred, like you're not going to go about it the right way and you're probably going to burn out super quick and then you're going to fall back way worse than you started. It, yeah. You know, you could, um, yeah. you know, and, and uh, yeah, in regards to the whole, the, the beast mode on the sheep, I think the sheep <laughs> that that's, a, it had to be done on the sheep. The deer was very dumb and I have a chiropractor appointment in like an hour <laughs> because of it. Oh, so I listened to don't your do that. I listen to your podcast with you and Leah and her sort of, for lack of a better word, I don't mean this, but kind of getting on you about doing that. And uh, I just, oh, I had yeah. to laugh a little bit. Yeah, she did. It was really dumb. It was dumb of me. I know that now. I know that now, but we'll see if I learn. We'll see if I learn anything about from it. But so I think you started to say like, okay, well, what are the nutrition strategies? And 
before we yeah. like, I, we'll lead into that, but you have to understand too, like, you know, for most people, the reason you're waking up early in training, the reason you're, you know, spending time trying to prepare some lunches better than stopping at drive through every day or whatever, the reason you're, you're, you're trying to do these things is because you have a goal, right? And you have to realize too, that whenever you stress the body, when the rate of breakdown exceeds the rate of recovery, you are going in the complete opposite direction. It's like tying two tow trucks to a chain and having them drive in opposite directions. You have complications that arise that you can't avoid when you stress the body beyond the ability to recover. And those complications end up precipitating you not excelling or, or, or increasing your performance in whatever it is that you know, you're trying to do. So that then leads into the nutrition part. I would say there are two giant rules that I see people quote unquote break. And when I say that, you should tailor your nutrition plan to you. So if you found something that works for you, then you should 100% do that regardless of what I say, regardless of what science says. If something fits you, that's what you should do. However, science says, and anecdotally with me having you know, the opportunity, the great opportunity to work with people, I absolutely love my job, is two rules. One, people treat protein like it's king and want to eat giant amounts of it, thinking that that somehow is going to just solve all of their fitness problems. And then the second rule is they somehow avoid, because they've been told they make us gain weight or cause disease or whatever, all form and matter of carbs. Right. And so the two biggest mistakes in that would, would be those two. And they go a little bit hand in hand. We, we call carbohydrates the protein sparing nutrient, meaning when you consume adequate carbohydrate, it allows the muscle the opportunity to perform and function in the way that it's supposed to. Now, what's important there is the dose. I'm not talking about giant excess quantities of carbs. I'm talking about the appropriate amount to fuel your day. When you skimp on those carbohydrates and you eat gobs and gobs of protein, the body recognizes that fuel source isn't there. So it takes that opportunity to take the gobs and gobs of protein. It converts it into energy in the liver and that protein doesn't recover the muscle the way that you've intended to. So you would save more time and perform better by giving yourself a reasonable amount of carbs to fuel the endeavors you're asking yourself to do, that would then allow the protein you are getting to recover the muscle that you are, are desiring it to recover, the muscles that you're desiring for it to recover, and your performance improvements, your recovery would be so much better that you would probably see a dramatic improvement compared to maybe what you had previously been doing. That's super interesting. So on... Like say there's on the last podcast that we did, we talked about like incorporating my fitness pal, that mm -hmm. app into figuring all that stuff out. Um, so if, if guys are out there doing that, they're going to be familiar with like the percentage split. Mm -hmm. So in that kind of a situation, what percentage split of the carbs, fats, and proteins would you say to yeah. like aim for? 
Yeah, that's so that's a good question. If we're going to talk like, you know, if I put my nerd glasses on and we're going to open a book or I'm going to be in a classroom, it's a 40 to 60 percent allocation of your total calories to carbs. Now, I'm also a giant believer in and preach quite a bit to the folks that are that are enrolled in the LADP. I teach quite a bit. There's a difference between what's optimal, what the nerd in me says what the book says and what's practical, right? So if you don't want to track, you don't want to use my fitness pal, you don't want to, you know, consume your time trying to achieve 40 to 60% of your total calorie intake from carbohydrate, then simply focus on having a portion of some sort of a carbohydrate that you deem okay at each of your meals, right? Choose fruits more often than I don't know, whatever else. So there is the idea of optimal versus practical. And if a person doesn't want to get lost in the weeds or the nitty gritty, just make sure that consistently you're giving yourself an appropriate amount of whatever type of carb you deem healthy, right? And we could dive off on, you know, what's quote unquote healthy versus what isn't if we wanted to, but that's going to be very subjective, right? Like what I see from a science level works as a source of carbs on that plate will be entirely different than maybe what someone else does. So, you know, that's why I say whatever you deem appropriate, that's what you should do. Now there is, in my opinion, a lot of reasons and a lot of advantages in using an app and, and getting lost in, you know, quote unquote, lost in the weeds of dialing in nutrition to that level. And, you know, two of those would be the first, better performance when you do hit that metric of 40 to 60%, it tends to fill up the nutrient stores in the muscle, which are the primary fuel for any activity that you're doing required by that muscle. Whereas if you kind of take the more general approach of just having some kind of starch on the meal, you could potentially be doing better than you had been, but there's still maybe a little bit left out. And you can only decide if, you know, the work of, of tracking your nutrition is important enough to get that extra, you know, however much percent that it is out of your potential performance. And then the second thing, uh, advantage of using it is, boy, does it teach you so much about nutrition, right? And even from a, a general health level, like, you know, what does a cup of cereal actually look like? I've always told my doctor, I have a cup of cereal in the morning and I started measuring it and realized that's three cups. So, whereas I thought I was eating, you know, 1200 or where I thought that I was eating 200 calories for breakfast reality, I'm eating six or 700. It's no wonder I can't get my weight to move. It's interesting when we look at studies and we have people start using this in a, in a formal setting and we can really assess what they're eating. Most people tend to underestimate their calorie intake by more than 1400 calories per day. Ooh, that's a so lot. It is. And, and, and again, whether or not that means anything to you or whether or not that matters is really subjective. You, you may have someone who says, oh, I'm totally fine with my weight. I could care less about calories. Well, that's fine. But if you've got someone else, which is, this is the most of the people I talk to, just banging their head against a wall, giving as much effort as they possibly can to get their weight down to be healthier, to have a better quality of life for their kids or whatever. They're putting the effort out, but they're not seeing anything happen. That can be so discouraging. And so now all of a sudden, 
you know, the idea that they could potentially be consuming more than they think they are becomes a little more relevant to them. So, you know, it's not going to be advice that is for the masses. And that's what's unique about nutrition is it really has to be tailored for the person. You can't just cast the net broad and say, okay, everybody go do this. Everybody's going to be successful. That simply isn't true. You have to tailor it for the person. Yep, absolutely. And I think one thing that, I don't know if this would be really any advice, but one thing that I liked about using the, the, my fitness pal is to do just what you're saying is you get a better idea of like what you're actually looking at when you're looking at a cup of cereal or something like that. And now, like, I don't use it now. I mean, maybe I will sometimes, um, like in the summertime just to mess with it or whatever. But now I can just apply that to what I've learned just by tracking some of that stuff. Um, and not even really religiously. And now I can apply it like in the off season or when I go somewhere, if I, if I want to, I can just look at something and be like, all right, this is what I want to put together for a meal because, you know, earlier I was really heavy on carbs. So I'm just going to roll that roll back on that a little bit for dinner or something like that. And that's, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what it's designed to be doing. You, you know, the idea I think, or may, maybe the misconception is, is that if I, if I commit to doing this, I'm committing for life. And that's not the goal. The goal is using it as a tool for a period of time to a help you accomplish a goal, but to b also teach you about portion sizes, right? I mean, that all seems elementary. That all seems really annoying. That all seems really tedious. And all of those things might be true, but the reality is this is you've been trying so hard and it's not worked and it's, it's because of the portion sizes. So you certainly don't have to commit to a life of, being married to an app and you're measuring cups, but there's not, you know, you could argue that there's a lot of advantage in doing it for a period to teach you about what portion sizes are, and then you can break away from it if you want. I mean, I have, I have other people that have used it that said, man, I like, I loved it so much. I'm, I keep using it. It just keeps me accountable. And, you know, I think to it, it, it really opens up the door for you to have things that you, you love, right? Most fad diets are built around eat the green list of foods. Don't eat the red list of foods. Well, the problem is, is the red list is delicious. The green list sucks and sure you'll lose weight, but you're ready to abandon ship after, you know, six weeks when you use the app, and you're, you know, you're, you're consuming the amount appropriate for your goal, meaning, you know, you're either uh, slightly below your actual needs for, for calories to lose weight or potentially above them. If you're trying to build muscle or put weight on, or, you, or you're at the amount that you do need to maintain your weight, it opens up the door for a lot of freedom, right? I mean, no longer is it like you show up to the restaurant and you have to get a bowl of lettuce and a piece of salmon. You can eat really anything that you want, so long as the portion's accounted for and it's at your goal. So, you know, I've, I've found people to really enjoy it from that perspective is, you know, they, they don't have to give up pizza night with their kids. They're not having to give up Halloween candy or anything like that. Now, I'm not saying that your whole <laughs> diet should be made from that, but like it, we're all human. We all want to be social and like it or not, like food is a social part of our society. And it's, it's frankly, like as a dietitian, 
it is one of the cool parts. There's nothing better than sitting down to a meal with people that you love and being able to just enjoy it, whether it's like meat that you've harvested or vegetables you've grown, or it's pizza you picked up from Domino's. There's, there's just not a lot like being able to just sit down and enjoy a meal with someone. And for dietitians like me or, or anyone to expect someone to skip those for the sake of X, Y, and Z fad diet is just an asinine expectation in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. So one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was kind of open it up so people could ask questions to now that we're postseason for some mid season for others. So they could, if they had any, if they experienced anything on the mountain this year that they could, they could ask. Uh, one of them came from Instagram. Kyle Walker said, uh, he seems to get leg cramps at night, even though he's really good about drinking water. hundred ounces a day is what he's saying. Um, he says when he does get cramps, mustard packets, save his butt on it. Um, but how do you prevent them in the first place? So a couple of thoughts on that. One, if, if a person's drinking a boatload of water and they're not consuming much sodium, they're flushing most of what they do have out. So that would be, that would be an environment to a recipe for cramps. Right. If you're if you're drinking a load of water, which, of course, has no sodium, you have to find a way, especially if it's in combination with like an early season hunt and you're sweating a lot to replace all of those losses because you're losing it in sweat. You're peeing a lot of it out, etc. And the very you know, that that litmus test that he he gave there of like, well, mustard packets cure it. Well, mustard packets have some sodium in it if that's fixing it it's likely a salt issue. And that's a good, that's a good litmus test. Uh, The other thing is I've met a lot of people who spend a lot of time and money buying some sort of an electrolyte replacement powder and, you know, trying to figure out why these cramps pop up in research. And again, you can sort of take that for what it's worth, but in research, what we have found time and time again, that most of the time, the culprit to cramps is an untrained muscle, right? So it's got nothing to do with fluid intake. It's got nothing to do with electrolyte replacement. It's got nothing to do with anything to do with nutrition. It simply means that that muscle is untrained. Or if you do train a lot and you experience that, it's untrained in the activity or the volume or whatever that you're doing. And this loops back into how we first started the conversation if you're not resting the muscle that also could obviously be fall under this category of just an untrained muscle or an overexerted muscle being the reason that you've got cramps. Okay. Super interesting. I know that you opened up some questions as well. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it. I I had one, um, about, and, and this would, this would be your wheelhouse for sure. (laughs) Let me, I'll explain after I say the question, (laughs) but he, he had said, you know, everybody's really, really great at recovering after a successful day, like in in terms of, I think, mentally, how do you recover after a failure? Now, clarification, I don't mean you fail a lot. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean is, is you have a lot of experience hunting and I, you know, I, I know I've had failures, but I'm sure that you've got either stories of yourself or clients where, you know, you've 
put a lot of time out, a lot of effort out on a stalk or what have you, and it doesn't pan out, or maybe you shoot something and you, you can't find it or what have you. So I don't know that that necessarily fits the bill here, but that was the question. That was one of the questions that they had. Gotcha. So that'd be more of like a mentality thing, right? I think so. That's yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. Man, I uh, I think we ran into this a little bit probably on on Leah's hunt. Like, so we were just hunting the weekends mostly because that's that's all she can do um, right now is is hunt the weekends just given like the work schedule and whatever. And we're getting down to the last day, and you know the rest of the weekends hadn't really panned out. Hadn't really seen that much deer or that many deer. Um, and I think in it all changed in about a matter of two minutes from the time. Well, that's probably five minutes, but it wasn't very long from the time I, I found the buck to the time we moved, got on the hill and she rolled him at 300. Like it was like five minutes. And that's all that, that's all that it takes is five minutes might be on the first five minutes, might be the last five minutes or somewhere in between, but that's, that's what it takes. So that's what, that's what I tr- always try to, to keep in mind. And with clients, it can get frustrating sometimes when, and it really stresses me out when the deer do not cooperate with what I think they need to be doing. And guys aren't seeing as many deer as we typically are, or, you know, where it's a really windy day. So they're not staying out as long, or they're moving before daylight or the crops are still in. And that's mostly where they are is in the, the crops. Um, but I always tell them, like, when you get here, like, your last day is somebody else's first day. So we're just allotted, you know, five days because that's kind of what it, it takes um, to hunt that. But you just can't, you can't sit, like, you know, a couple of days and then get really down on yourself and just think, like, all right, whatever, it's not going to happen. So you let your guard down type of deal. It can all change in about five minutes so mm-hmm. i don't know that's kind of what i always try to keep in mind is is uh my you know third day of hunting or last day of hunting is somebody else's first day and you're just as likely you should hunt it like it is your first day i guess yeah. if that makes sense no i so, think that's that's great i'm gonna write that down myself yeah, <laughs> yeah i've had to come up with some some things because it it does get it gets tricky especially you know, the, you know, being a guide and they're, they're paying me to do so. And there's a certain amount of expectation that comes with that. And I think Mm -hmm. false expectation as well. I know we're getting down a rabbit hole, but there's a little bit of a false expectation there too, that, you know, a couple of times I've had to tell people like, did you think I was going to rattle a bucket and they were going to all come running? (laughs) Like, it's just not, it's not how it works. So, um, yeah. No, I've 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 often thought of you actually on the drive back from my mule deer hunt this this year or one of them. I listened to I think it was like downloaded a bunch of podcasts and one of them happened to be the mediator podcast you were on and you were talking about guiding and uh, realistic expectations of people and I could imagine there's some you know some folks out there that think guided hunt equals harvest and we all know that <laughs> that's not true animals have an entire you know mind of their own and um i love that idea of you know your last day could potentially be somebody else's first day and i think that 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 would would stimulate some encouragement for sure yeah yeah i think so it's it seemed to to help 
and then it usually you know it turns around and in those five days we usually get a deer killed and and then you know the spirits lift quite a quite a lot but um but yeah that that's what i would say to that cool great answer sweet i like i like the interviewer spot yeah it's (laughs) yeah it's interesting (laughs) um i got one other question i don't really understand it but i think you can give a good insight to just kind of a whole uh you know, as like a whole, um, it's a gut health question. And he said he got kicked by a horse and then has been having gut health. I assume that those two go together and those two events, um, correlate together, but I think just talk about like gut health as a whole on the mountain. Boy, that is a true hole in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's hard to speak to his specific instance, gut health in general tends to revolve around, I mean, a lot of different things, right? Anything from intolerances to certain foods, to potential food allergies, to pre and probiotics, to uh, issues related, like, like genuine chronic medical conditions, like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, all of that. I think if you take all of those things the best general advice that you could possibly give someone, you know, and, and trying to trying to take an opportunity like this and really help a, a, an audience would be tailor it to you, right? There's going to be things that work for your buddy that, who has IBS that will not work for you with IBS. So take things that you're familiar with that you know will sit well with you. And this is probably the biggest thing don't take things on the hunt to trial, meaning like have, you know, take, take some time doing either scouting trips or backpacking trips, or even just general day to day to experiment with the stuff that you're interested in taking in the fall or the winter or whatever, to see if it sits well with you. And there's a number of reasons for that, but one of the main ones is, other than the obvious, which is like you're stuck with a pack full of something that causes you to, you know, be behind a tree as much as you are behind binoculars. <laughs> Beyond that is you, uh, you you have to find something that works for you. And you're in an environment that is completely against your gut. And what I mean by that is, is you've got a hip belt, you know, that's basically cutting off some of the circulation to your stomach. If it's, if it's tightened any reasonable amount, that's one. Number two, especially in the West, you're at a higher altitude. So there's less oxygen available. Number three, when you're, when your legs are active and obviously anything out here, at least we hunt is very straight up. (laughs) So you're, you're, you're hiking quite a bit and that's not just, you know, that's not just horizontal distance. That's vertical as well. When you're doing something like that, the body is pulling blood from parts of the body that are not being as used and giving it to the legs, right? And so one of the places that gets robbed is the gut. So you experience just this tremendous amount of indigestion because the the gut's not working quite as well. So you're combining this potential problem with certain foods, with less oxygen, with, you know, 
less circulation because of a of a of a hip belt as well as the fact that your legs are active and blood's being pulled p-u-l-l from the gut to the legs and you're combining it with a bunch of food that doesn't sit well with you creates a recipe for disaster so you know be familiar with what works well for you trial it out in those types of conditions prior to going out on like a week-long hunt if you're able to and don't be afraid to just tailor it to what works the best for you as opposed to maybe what works for another guy cool um just in general to like everybody is a probiotic a really good thing to be taking? That's an interesting question. So that is what's preached. Some people will take them and they'll say, it has changed my life. And you're, you're probably starting to recognize a theme. And that is that science can never argue with someone's subjective experience, right? So if you're that person who takes one, you're like, man, game changer, then you should keep taking it. From a larger perspective, and when I say that, it kind of goes back to the nerdery pieces of of science and studies, you're probably not going to be able to get enough of a probiotic in your gut to reap a tremendous benefit. Now, you could, and you could go anything from as simple as a yogurt that has live and active cultures in it to an over-the-counter really pricey one that has different strands of probiotics, different amounts of probiotics, et cetera. I think the best low-hanging fruit that people could do is instead of doing that, take something like a, not take something, have prebiotics, which help ferment the gut bacteria that's already in there, which is where the real value comes. And to put it very simply, consuming foods that are have a decent amount of fiber in them are going to be a good spot for people to start to get some prebiotics in their diet. And those prebiotics will act as fuel for the gut as well as ferment the good bacteria. And so you, you, you reap the benefit from that. Nice. Okay. That is, that's really interesting. Glad, glad I asked that question. (laughs) Um, while we're on some of the supplement trains like that, uh, a lot of people ask me what I'm using for like a uh, electrolyte mm-hmm. or things like that. What is your take on that? Uh, if I'm being honest, like this year I I went and I just got for like drink mixes. I just got the uh, like the Gatorade packets mm-hmm. that they make now. And that's just what I've been using. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than some of the other stuff. Um, but I wanted to get your, your take on that. That's what I drink. <laughs> nice. So I think there, uh, there's a couple of different things. One is it, you, you know, the idea of a supplement is it's supplementing something you're not getting enough of. So you kind of have to need it. Otherwise it's pointless, regardless of what brand, regardless of anything like that. Second to that is it depends on the endeavor. So if you get an early season hunt, let's say August, where it's really hot outside still, and you're climbing a lot of elevation, you're in somewhere like Nevada or or Arizona or some sort of super hot environment where there's not a ton of shade, you're in the sun, you're sweating a lot. You may want to veer more towards an electrolyte replacement that has a higher sodium content. So like, let's, let's say Gatorade, for example, Gatorade has two formulations. There's an endurance formulation, and then there's the normal everyday, every, you know, everyday common formulation. 
The endurance formulation has a greater content of sodium to replace what's lost than, you know, the normal formulation. And then there's more expensive or what I joke is bougie brands like Tailwind Nutrition, which is almost mirrors the profile of the Gatorade. It's a little more expensive, but it mixes clear in a bladder. It tends to taste a little bit better. Subjectively, uh, some people would say that. So it's going to have a higher sodium content. You could also argue, though, that, well, man, what if I just increase the amount of salty snacks I eat? Well, that would also fit the bill. You can make it as complex as you want. My experience is people like to buy stuff, right? Like they like to be a member of a tribe and, you know, I won't say any names, but like, you know, I buy this brand of a product and wear their hats and you do this, that, and the other. It's not, there's no significant advantage. I'll just say there's no advantage in what a lot of those companies are throwing in there beyond what you could get in your common everyday Gatorade. Yeah. We'll say it, that. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to touch on that too, more so for like, it and I'm really glad you I'm really glad that it was like you answered it like I had in my brain um because that that little thing of Gatorade packets I don't know there's like 10 packets in a thing or whatever and it's like three dollars mm-hmm. three bucks versus like obviously there'd be more than 10 servings and some of those other things but they're like 50 bucks a, a pop yeah and you don't need that stuff especially from like a cost saving like if you're you're really trying to pinch pennies like that's not the place to be spending the money and you can get a lot of the same benefits out of it by just there's other products out there and that Gatorade one is one I like and I think even on the topic of supplements as a whole is even if even if a a company well number one if a company says that hey this is going to do x y and z for you you should absolutely see if that's true or not. But second to that is, okay, let's say that we find a study that says this is beneficial. You have to read and know how to understand the data in the study to say, okay, it may be quote unquote statistically beneficial, but are you going to notice a difference? Is spending that extra $47, you know, going to be the game changer for your day, your week, your hunt, your life, whatever. And I think like, you know, if we were going to just uh, make up a, a scenario, let's say that you, you know, product A um, was your standard Gatorade and product B was a name brand, much more expensive formulation and product B's company said, okay, well, if you take this studies show that the additional five ingredients in here will you know, improve your performance. It's usually very general statements like that, right? Okay, well, and then they they attach a study and you go in there and you read the study and you find that the people that took product B had quote unquote improved performance. And then you dive in a little bit deeper. Well, what's improved performance? Well, it took one second less for them to get to the top of the mountain as opposed to product A. So yes, you can claim that it provides better performance, but is one second a game changer? No, it's it's not. So you really have to weigh, and, and that's one example that I've made up. But when you look at these, you have to ask yourself, not only A, does it work, but B, is the quote unquote working 
a game changer? Is it something that's going to literally change my performance, my whatever it is that you're trying to improve? And if, you know, if that's the case, then you might be able to say, for me, it's worth spending the extra dollar. Or you may be able to say, you know what, like I'm on a budget. I just spent my money on tags and gas driving to and from my hunting spot and food and all these other things. I can't afford product B, but I can do A. Well, then you should buy product A. And then I think there's another group of folks who would say, hey, I I just really like supporting companies that support hunters. Well, then Mm -hmm. you should absolutely go ahead and continue to spend your money on that if if you have it and that's what you want to do. But I think as a whole, it, it is good to know if you can only afford the inexpensive stuff, there is nothing wrong with that. And this isn't necessarily an electrolyte replacement, but, you know, electrolyte replacements tend to fall into two categories. One is an electrolyte replacement that also has carbs, which tend to provide some additional fuel versus sugar-free options that just provide electrolytes, but not any additional fuel. A product that, like, as an example, a lot of times for the, for the carbs alone is a quick source to get people nutrition. Um, like I'll just recommend Tang. I mean, that's like $2 for a giant bucket full of that stuff and you mix it up. And I've had many people tell me, look, I started to feel a blood sugar dip. I mixed a little bit of that and I felt great afterwards. And the idea behind that is you're just giving your brain a little bit more energy. So you're able to continue to focus and function. And there's some other things there too, like, well, maybe we should have planned a little bit different. Maybe we should have gotten some nutrition into you sooner, blah, 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 blah. But the idea is you don't have to spend a ton of money on these um, uh, sort of brand specific products. There are other alternatives out there that are way, way less expensive and can serve the same benefit. Yeah, cool. That's exactly what I wanted to to hit home. And the same goes for the same goes for bars and stuff like that. Like there's some of those meat bars that they're like five bucks a piece and you know, people are really pushing them, which is fine. I'm sure they taste great, but I'm just like, man, we're telling people to go after kind of the wrong thing, I think, when it comes to especially people that are just getting into it, trying to get out west and do backpack hunts and stuff like that. There's yeah other ways yeah. to do things like a hundred a hundred percent i mean we could there are lots of things we could talk about here that yeah. would fit under that especially i mean i'm glad that you mentioned that especially with like western hunting you know you can for the most part eat a lot of what you eat at home here you don't need you know sport specific like the 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 sport blocks and the chews and the this and the that like mm-hmm. nine a hundred percent of the time I'm telling people look save your money get some gummy bears and skip the blo- sport yeah. blocks right and it's it's uh it's it's so much cheaper and it's 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 essentially the same thing with less marketing and my opinion tastes better and um so anyway yes just uh just a um I'll echo your sentiments I agree cool Cool, man. Is there anything else in particular you wanted to run through on this episode? I don't think so. I mean, we talked a little bit about chatting through preparing for, you know, preparing now for next season. Um, We talked about, you know, reviewing the recovery piece, which we did preparing now 
can involve a lot of different things. I don't know how short we want to make the episode. <laughs> We're probably getting yeah. close to time, aren't we? Yeah, pretty, pretty close. I'm going to have to go get my back worked on pretty quick. But um, yeah, I think what I wanted to, I more so wanted to just get it in people's minds as a forefront now. It always seems like um, there's a lot of talk about like, the nutrition and whatever getting ready for hunting season like a month before hunting season instead of yeah. like you can start now and a month before hunting season it's gonna even if you ramp it up then it's gonna be a lot easier to ramp it up than if you just like well you know i've got eight months or i've got 10 months until i start again so i'm just gonna do whatever i want for the next six 100 percent it's like, it's like shooting your bow, right? I mean, there's nothing yeah. more miserable than a week before the season trying to get out there and make sure that you're dialed in. And it's way less stressful to start shooting in January. And when it comes time for August and September, you, you realize like, well, I, you know, all your buddies are scrambling and you're ready to go. Yeah. And now's the time where you can, if you want to do it and you want to be at a certain point a month before season or when season hits, you can start taking those in a lot smaller steps now and it might be easier to stick with those versus like doing it all at once and then falling off the wagon. Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. All right, man. Well, where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can, um, social media things are all V2P nutrition. Uh, the website's V2P nutrition.com. And I would be, you know, one of the greatest parts about this is just having and had the opportunity to meet so many people I never would have otherwise. So if there's a question you've got or anything, I'd be happy to happy to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome. That would be great. Well, we've, we've had you on before and I'm sure I covered it in the, the intro that I'll do for this episode, but that link will be down in the description. We covered nutrition a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, more thoroughly, I guess, like from starting to end. So I'll link that in the show notes and then, yeah. If uh, you want to get a hold of Kyle, just hop on to where he just told you. Thanks, Jordan. A big thanks to Jordan for having me on. Jordan is, um, a, like I said, a, just a, a great host. She does so many podcasts. Call her a veteran would be underselling her skills in a tremendous way. Uh, as this is recording, or as this is launching, actually, the new season of Meat Eater, I think it's Meat Eater season 13, just launched. And Jordan is in that with uh, some of the folks over at meat eater that you may be familiar with like Steve Ranilla and Giannis Patelis and some of those guys. So check that out and see her and some of the stuff that she's great at in terms of guiding on her family's ranch in near the Midwest. If you've got any questions for us, shoot those over to info at v2pnutrition.com. If you've got a couple of minutes, we would really appreciate you taking a second to go into your podcast platform and rank it or leave a comment or what have you. Maybe you've got a friend who you feel like this would be helpful too. You guys were up on the mountain thinking, man, I wonder how, like, how are we going to make it through the season? Here's some great tips that I hope, hope you find helpful. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you back in a couple of weeks. Have a good week, everyone.